Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. I'm joined by John Dillon, who is the founder and CEO of Guardian Vets. Now, we're going to get into what Guardian Vets is, but I want to set the stage and talk a little bit about Guardian Vets being really an extension of your veterinary team to help with telemedicine, after-hours triage, inbound communications, and curbside management. Their goal is to be a virtual care solution provider designed to help veterinary practices streamline operations, reduce burnout, and elevate service. So, John, that's a lot of stuff that you guys are doing, but thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Isaiah. I'm excited to be here. One thing that I wanted to, to start with is really just kind of the story of Guardian Vets. And if you want to open up and share a little bit about what it looked like, how you got started. I know you've been on other podcasts, you've probably shared this a little bit, but for those that maybe aren't familiar or you want to add any sort of twists or new information, tell us a little bit about what happened, why did you start, and kind of what were you working to solve? Absolutely. So the genesis came from a pet owner perspective where I had an issue with my dog, Patrick. I reached out to my general practice after hours over the weekend and I got a voicemail that said, sorry, we're closed. Leave a message or go to the emergency room. I didn't know if it's an emergency or not. I'm not medically trained. The dog doesn't speak. It's a different species. And when you reach out to the emergency room, they just said, well, if you think it's an emergency, come on in. I said, I don't know. And around and around we went, and I knew that this was going to be you know, expensive proposition to take him in if it wasn't necessary. And from a customer service perspective, I just wasn't happy. And when I reached out to the general practice, they said, well, we understand that our clients have issues after hours, but we also have a family and we have a life and it's unfair to expect us to be on call 24 seven. So what do you want me to do? And I realized that there is this gap in continuity of care as it relates from the pet owner's perspective. But moreover, there was a problem from the veterinary practices perspective with the need to have work-life balance while balancing that with their customer needs. And we thought, okay, this is a wonderful opportunity to help elevate the standard of care while at the same time giving practices that work-life balance that they need. And so our initial solution or go-to-market was just, hey, let's help practices with after-hour support. And we took that concept, we scaled it across hundreds of hospitals across North America. And as rapidly as we kept on growing that, we had other practices that were reaching out to us saying, well, if you can help us after hours, would you also be able to help us during the day? So we expanded into daytime overflow support and helping them with things like patient intake, registration, prescription refill requests, and so forth. And then emergency rooms started to hear about what we were doing and how we can help general practices. And they reached out and said, could you also help us as well? And so we started expanding there. And the mission has always been to help veterinary practices provide convenient, compassionate, and continuous care. But from our perspective, as we've grown in this industry, we've realized how critical the issue of burnout really is. We hear practice owners and practice managers and veterinarians and nurses constantly say, we can't keep up with demand and we can't hire enough staff. And as a consequence, customer service standards tend to erode and burnout tends to go high. And it's just a vicious cycle that people find themselves in. And we're here to tell the industry, like, we're here to help. We're partners for you. And we believe in, in partnering with the practice and, and helping you guys through this. So that's a little bit about what we do and why. Absolutely. And I know right before we clicked record, you talked about, yeah, the number one issue that you see in the industry, again, 
both of us are not clinically trained. We're not veterinarians by nature, both work in play, right, in the veterinary space and know a lot of people. And so we have a different perspective, but you highlighted number one issue is burnout, right? And so solving burnout by being able to take some of those burdens of service at times, which is hard because you're in a service business as a veterinarian. You really are in a service business and the switching cost is not that high as much as you might feel like what you're doing is extremely different from everyone else. At the end of the day, someone needs help with their pet. They are going to someone and they are getting a service. So burnout is the number one issue. Being able to outsource that and say, hey, your quality of care stays at a high level makes sense. That should help. Do you have any examples? Do you have any stories, conversations with hospitals that have embraced this model of saying, hey, we need help. We can't do it all internally and hire? Yes. And what that's looked like? Quite a few. And to bring this into perspective, when you ask veterinary professionals, what is it that's burning you out? They never respond with the medicine or the delivery of veterinary care itself. And you say, well, then what is it that's burning you out? And it's always everything else. And that's what we help with, right? So it's the after hour support. It's the helping with callbacks. It's the helping triage when clients are calling in during the day and it's overwhelming your front desk. It's those things that tend to just slowly add up throughout the course of the day that seems to make your schedule fall further and further behind or not allow you to take a step back from the practice and spend time with your family and your loved ones. That's what we help with. And so that you as a veterinary professional can focus on the things that you do love which is saving pet lives and being there for your clients and patients. In terms of stories and how we've helped practices in the past, we've had practices that, for example, key members on the team have to go on maternity leave, were previously doing on-call and weren't able to meet the needs of their growing family and the needs of their growing practice being on-call. And we were able to help support them during a pivotal moment so that they can still keep their client service up. We've had general practices and emergency rooms that were dealing with so much demand that they couldn't keep up and the phone lines were getting out of control and they literally had physical space constraints that prevented them from hiring further physically in the practice. And we were able to help them with overflow and taking that call volume off their plates and helping triage their clients so they can maintain their standards of client service and make sure that the clients that do need to be seen immediately are being seen immediately. We have countless stories like that where behind the scenes, we're helping practices meet the needs of their clients and do so in a way that doesn't burn out their staff. And you know, for us, the big thing is making sure that it's a seamless experience from the client's point of view. It's about their relationship with you and your practice rather than for us building our brand, we're not interested in having a client-facing brand or disintermediating a veterinary hospital. All of it from a technology and service point of view is catered around helping the veterinary practice succeed with their own client service. Got it. And then, yeah, I like the idea of let them be the face and the, I guess, I don't know if hero of the journey, that's kind of like a marketing term, right? But Let them be the person that gets to get all the thank you, all the kudos, all the fun things. But you can be the kind of the behind the scenes, the stage crew, right? To like put on the performance to make sure that everything's running well. And I think that's a really needed thing. And again, going back to, I keep saying this, and I think it was 
Ooh, I'm spacing on who was the guest, but we talked about service industries and just competing with, you know, you're competing with people's dollars and cents when they're going and doing other things completely outside of veterinary medicine. And so like mm-hmm. that standard of the expectations of just how they interact, if you're all doing things in an archaic manner, they're going to be like, yeah, this is not going to fly, especially when you're trying to attract younger millennial pet parents that can be clients for a long time, right? That's super important. So when you think about the future of tele-offerings, of being a leader in veterinary medicine, in certain areas of the country are going to be different than others. And I kind of want to dig into that too, of like kind of where you've seen the use cases and it hasn't been all over the board or just in one area, but what do you think the future of a service offering in a world of curbside, of more electronic communication, more hands-off, but still trying to bring a high level of service. Like if you were to take your crystal ball that's broken and look at it, say, this is what veterinary medicine looks like in the future. What do you think? It's a really interesting time to be in the industry. It's in a high amount of change at the moment. And a lot of it is positive and necessary change. I think the point that you were bringing up earlier about consumer expectations evolving, very true, especially with millennials, but Gen X and Gen Y, the demand for essentially service on demand and convenience is just skyrocketing. And just think about our own lived personal experiences during COVID, how convenient it is to shop for stuff on Amazon and how all of our collective habits have changed during the pandemic and it's just been accelerated in the last year. The trend towards digitization, the trend towards convenience is going to accelerate more and more. From our point of view, we want to create technology that allows veterinary practices to embrace this change and meet these evolving consumer demands. We're aware of models out there that are disintermediating or trying to the veterinary practice and we're not for that. We're, if anything, trying to tell these traditional brick and mortar practices, guys, you have to elevate your digital game. And that involves providing continuity of care, but that also means making it easy to chat with your practice, to call your practice, to reach you via the website, to reach you via email, to offer some sort of virtual care solution with an existing VCPR. You just have to Make it easy and convenient for your client to reach you when they need to. And I think veterinary practices will continue to thrive, if not enter a period of boom. The studies that we're seeing show that there was a significant increase in pet ownership during COVID, and that's just going to drive a lot of demand for more service. So it's a great industry to be in. I think it's going to enter a period of renaissance. We're really excited about what's to come. So on a personal level, when I think about the future of this, I relate back to my own lived experience with a healthcare provider on the human side. And I'm very familiar with the system called MyCharts. And it allows me to interact with my human doctor, like my primary care physician, very conveniently and avoid having to make a trip downtown Chicago every single time I want to chat with my doctor. Now, sometimes the doctor may tell me, hey, you do need to come in and we need to check this out. And certainly I need to come in for the annual physical exam. And that relationship still exists where we still met in person and um, there's that trust factor there and they have access to my records and so forth. But the ability to supplement that with technology means that I have more touch points with my doctor now. And 
we can strengthen that relationship. And anytime that I do have a medical related question, I can go to them with that question and get answers conveniently. It benefits them. It benefits us. They're able to monetize for their time. So I think there's a bright future for telehealth in general. I think how it's going to evolve in the veterinary space is different than what we've seen in human healthcare. We've learned that as an industry, I don't want to say post-COVID, but having gone through as much time as we have during COVID, we've learned a lot. And I think the evolution of this technology will be asynchronous. I think in order for it to succeed, it will have to do a better job of leveraging the support staff. I think there's a lot of strides that need to be made with making it easy and convenient. And for us, from our point of view, you can call us vendors, if you will, we need to focus on solving problems for our clients rather than just offering up solutions that don't really solve any problem from a veterinarian's point of view. If you think about the evolution of telemed and what happened during COVID, a lot of companies, us included, rushed to market saying telemed's going to transform everything. And there was a period of time where there was so much noise in the media about it. And there was an influx of investment into the sector and a lot of new solutions came to market and the utilization and the uptake wasn't initially there. And everybody was looking around, looking at everybody else and everybody was scratching their heads saying, what gives? And us as an industry came to the veterinary market saying, telemed is going to solve all of your problems and keep your staff safe. And the industry responded, well, maybe, but we have curbside and we're going to do that instead. And frankly, kudos to the veterinary industry. They pivoted on a dime and it was incredible the amount of change that they were able to adopt and how quickly they were able to do it. But they were able to solve their need to keep their staff safe by implementing curbside without the use necessarily of telemedicine. I think when you think about how this is going to be implemented in the future, we need to think about creating solutions that solve problems for our clients rather than just creating an app that connects the pet owner and the veterinarian via video and say, congratulations. It doesn't really do anything for them. And we just need to be open and honest about it and move forward because the faster we can get past that, the faster we can get towards real solutions that solve real problems. And we'll be well on our way towards helping the veterinary practices of tomorrow meet the demands of their clients and continue to thrive. One of the things you just talked through, and there's a couple different points I'm going to kind of back up into because there's some really good things there I want to unpack. But one thing that I hear a lot about is boundaries. And so if I'm always on, so they can't see my, you know, air quotes, and the expectation is ease of access that I can get connected to this veterinarian, their team, all that other stuff. How do you think about and how should the tools be built or what are you guys doing to help, I guess, explain, but also protect the veterinarian and the team from just being like, hey, I'm always on because everyone has their cell phone, right? Like I'm always on, right? Yeah. How do you think about that? Or how have you seen people successfully implement being able to be easier to reach, but also still saying, you know what? Like I do have personal time. So give me some space. Yeah. It's difficult. And I'll speak to my own lived experience as a founder and CEO. You know, I was recently at um, the Unchartered Conference, which was wonderful. And I met a lot of practice owners and they were talking about 
how much they struggled with this issue of being there for their clients, but also setting their boundaries and like the difficulty of stepping away from their practice. And I took a step back and I realized, well, you know, as a founder, I also have a hard time stepping away from the business. And for years, in fact, until maybe a few months ago, every single time someone called in to our company, like no one knew this, but it was ringing right to my personal cell phone (laughs) every single time. And I wouldn't say that it's necessarily, hey, this is the founder and CEO. How can I help you? But I considered it important because it gave me a pulse on how our customers were feeling. And if there was like an issue, I could be the first one to help address it. And I always wanted our customers to feel like someone's there for them and we're being responsive. And I get it from the owner's point of view, as well as the veterinarian's point of view, as you know, the practice manager's point of view, like you want to be there for your client. You care about them. These are people that live in communities and they're trusted and they've been there for 20, 30 years. And the last thing you want to do is to let your customers down. So I get that. How do you balance that? Really difficult. Part of it is learning how to delegate and to set your boundaries, like you said. And the delegating part is really difficult. You have to find the right people to delegate to. You have to clarify what your expectations are and make sure that they're documented and have this whole process of setting smart goals that they're specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and timely. You have to make sure that you're following up, that there's proper reporting in place. And so that happens internally with teams. And certainly there's a lot of room for improvement with training the veterinary community on how to do that and owners and practice managers, especially, and how to let go and delegate successfully. But it also means delegating to partners. I think about the relationship that we have, for example, with our CPAs or our lawyers or other outside vendors. They're integral parts of our team and helping us fulfill our mission, even if they're not necessarily like W-2s on our payroll. So partners can be an integral part of the team. And I think that's where hospitals and veterinary practices can consider, hey, you don't always have to delegate internally to your team. Guardian Vets can be a partner to you and be an integral part of your team, but not necessarily on, on your payroll. And that can be a good thing. And we can offload a lot of things that are taking the joy away from your staff and take the pressure off your team while making sure that we're still meeting client demands. So that's on the delegating front and and setting your boundaries. That's a very personal decision on how much you want to be available and when, but a lot of it also has to do with making sure that we're not rushing to say yes to every task and every question that comes up empowering other people to be leaders within the organization and answer things themselves and figuring out like what is important, what is urgent, focusing on those things that are important and urgent and important and not urgent, but not necessarily those things that aren't important, but that quickly can add up and take a lot of your time. And then you find yourself in this vicious cycle of having no time and unable to step away from the practice. So A lot of it has to do with time management, prioritizing what you're doing, delegating successfully, finding the right partners to delegate when you can't do it internally within your own team to partner with externally. And the combination of those things can help you achieve work-life balance in air quotes. I think there's a misconception in the market about work-life balance too. A lot of us love what we do. 
I can't say everybody, but certainly in this industry, it's a lot of passionate people. I personally love what I do. I'm not looking for a four-hour work week. And I know a lot of veterinary professionals, that's not what they want. So that's not what's meant by work-life balance. In fact, I love working hard because I love what I do. The issue is, is when things aren't going the right way, when you're dealing with a nasty client or something that really went bad, that takes a lot of emotional energy out of you and it's draining. And to turn things around and make them go right is exhausting. And even if you're sitting on a chair or on a phone call, like there's effort that you have to put in and that drains you. And so on that front, I think figuring out again, how you can better align your organization to meet your objectives is critically important. And that goes back to the whole process of delegating and setting up your SOPs and setting up your processes the right way. And it's, it's actually quite a deep-rooted problem that needs to be addressed in many practices. We've seen it in our own business as we've grown from a small organization to a much larger organization, the need to set up processes and SOPs and formalize reporting and put the right people in the right roles. These are struggles that veterinary practices are going through as well. We're all in it together as SMBs. I think it's easier for a large corporate a billion or 5 billion or 50 billion in revenue that has all that structure and support systems in place. But there's not a lot of formal education around this stuff for SMBs. And so I, I think it's something that we all kind of learn ourselves as we go along. But if there's more discussion about it, it'll help the industry. And frankly, it's a testament to the hard work and passion of these professionals that things run as well as they do, despite the shortcomings. I think it's just really incredible people are working really hard. And if we get better with setting up processes and delegating, and like you mentioned, setting boundaries, there is potential for a lot of improvement with work-life balance and joy and reducing the burnout and churn. And I think one thing I didn't address that is quite important is that I do believe there is an imbalance right now on the supply and demand side with too much demand chasing too little supply. And there's, if not across the country in general, there's certainly localized shortages of veterinary professionals in certain areas. I've seen veterinary practice owners and managers say things like, we've had an ad out for six months or one year, and it goes unfulfilled. And you think about from a veterinary practice, a small independent animal practice that's trying to attract talent in a non-target city. So not New York, not LA, not Chicago. You're in the middle of Ohio or you're in the middle of Georgia. How do you compete with the corporate that can offer a six-figure signing bonus and isn't a target city? It's difficult. And that's where I think technology can really help the industry by saying, hey, let's do more with our existing resources if we can't get more for whatever reason. And also, if you can't compete with the signing bonus, let's say, well, maybe you can compete with offering more work-life balance by leveraging partners like us that allow your team to step away from the practice after five when the doors close and know that your clients are going to be taken care of and that's really compelling for a lot of people. 
So it's a combination of things that are really going to solve this for the industry, but we got to solve it together. You talked about just as you've grown and one thing, so SMB, I don't know if everyone would know that small, medium business. So wanted to clarify that. The other thing that made me laugh is when you think about an SMB, it is what is like a beautiful mess half the time, right? I was in a clinic with a client and they have a three doctor clinic and she described it as a beautiful tornado of just activity. Cause I was in there, I was like, how is anything getting done? Like, I'm just like in awe. Like I was meeting with some people, chatting with stuff and just like kind of just observing for a little bit and watching. And it's I was like, this is incredible. Remar- remarkably smart people and remarkably hardworking and passionate. But in terms of processes, sometimes you go, oh my God. But I think Isaiah, both of us can relate to like how difficult it is to set this up because it's easy just to look at someone else's business and say, you should do this, 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 and this. But then you look at us and what we're building and having both of us coming from a finance background, finance is as relevant to that as like medicine is, right? Like this is more like leadership and operations and it's difficult stuff, but it's very necessary. I call it the blocking and tackling of business. It's setting up those SOPs and setting up those processes and setting up that reporting and figuring out how to delegate successfully and quickly and hire the right people and train them and build that flywheel. It's hard. It's hard. Well, and I wanted to actually talk and I was actually going to pivot and then come back to some of the stuff you're doing, but just internally, right? So you've made a really concerted effort on your team to bring in talent, to build a team, to spend time to train and money, right? Like that's the other thing that people don't understand. You have to spend money on people to make a really good service. So what have you learned, especially as you grew? Because I would imagine early on, like you were hiring, training, like you were doing everything and you still might be doing a lot of that right now too. But what lessons learned, again, you guys are in Chicago, so it makes it maybe a little easier to attract some people if that's a bigger city and that's where someone wanted to be. But from hiring, from training, from talent, anything that you feel like is transferable to those that are struggling? Because your point, six months to a year trying to find talent. I mean, I know someone in indie suburbs that's trying to find associate veterinarian and it took them over a year and they did find someone, but it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. I think some things that I've learned, it's worth the investment to find the right people. The right team will lift you or break you. And we're fortunate that we have an incredible group of people on our team now. And that process of finding the right people starts with you understanding what is it that you're looking for and what are the goals that you're seeking to achieve with this particular role. And if you're not 100% clear about that and you're just hiring without clear expectations and defining what success looks like, chances are you're going to set yourself up for failure. And the closest example I can give to this in the veterinary space that I see too often is an owner that gets overwhelmed and I can relate. And then they say, well, I need a practice manager. And who do you think the first person they pick is? Someone internal. They just someone in, internal is usually they're like their lead tech, right? But may not necessarily have the managerial experience that they're looking for. And if we fall into this trap of someone excelled in one role and they must clearly therefore excel in the next role. And it's not so simple. It's you have to make sure that the skills of that individual match the role that you're looking for and clearly understand what is it that you're seeking to achieve with that new role that you're creating. And it's difficult because sometimes you're creating new roles out of thin air and there's no guidebook because different practices have different roles to do different things. So 
it's a challenge. Look, if any owners are listening, I think the biggest thing that's helped me is in practice managers as well as just other support groups with people that are going through the same struggles. So other practice managers, other owners, other people that you can talk to and just relate to about these issues that you're facing, that is tremendously helpful. I think the other thing that I've learned is on a personal front to not focus solely on the goal in it of itself, but to focus on the process and the system that's going to get you in the right direction and be more concerned with incremental, continuous marginal improvement rather than just being obsessed with hitting a particular goal without fleshing out how you're actually going to do it. And that can manifest itself in saying, hey, we're going to grow our business to a certain size by a certain date. But without building out the processes that support that, or we're going to get our customer service up to this, or we're going to get our pickup times down to this, we're going to, but unless you really break apart the processes and the systems and you have a strong supporting infrastructure, it's going to be very difficult to get there. So learning to kind of take a step back and focus on the process and the system rather than just the outcome and the goal has been something that has helped us a lot as an organization. Yeah. I go back to the thing you talked about, just because they've excelled in one role doesn't mean they'll be the best in the next role. The first job I had was not in finance. It was electric motor manufacturing that was done in the United States. So super unsexy, very boring. As a new college grad, it was in the town that I grew up in and everyone was 40 or above basically. And it was me like, you know, 23, 24 coming in, but the best sales guy got promoted to national sales director, small company, smaller company. Classic mistake. And he was terrible. Mm -hmm. He was so awful because what he was best at was going and talking to people, making sales, do all that stuff, have him do reporting, have him do projections, have him in the office. No, this guy needs to be on the road. He doesn't want to do it. Yeah. And he was awful at it. Just terrible. But but that individual would probably excel working with people and just the art of selling. But if you try to get them to do a bunch of reports on PowerPoint, no, thank you. Yeah. And train people. Yeah. Yeah. How do you train people or do anything else? He's like, no, no, no. Like he's likable. He'll chat with you. He could talk for hours, but he can't do anything. One phrase that really stuck with me that I, I can't remember where I heard, but some people are more like fish and some people are more like a monkey and the fish is going to perform extremely well in the water swimming and the monkey will perform extremely well climbing a tree, but it's unfair to ask the fish to climb a tree, right? And you as a leader have to be cognizant enough of like what the individual is can excel at and what they like and what they don't excel at and what they don't like and put them in a position to succeed. Because it's really unfair when you put someone in a position where they don't have the right skill set or desire, and then it's just, it's not a good situation. So having that level of awareness and having that level of transparency about what the expectations are is really key. There's another phrase I really like that I heard recently, which is just clarity is kindness, right? Being really clear with your team about what the expectations are right from the beginning can help prevent a lot of headaches in the future. And being transparent about, all right, these are the goals. This is how we're going to be reporting against it. Make sure that everything is relevant and we put the right person in the right role and achievable and we have a reporting process in place. That 
lends itself to a lot more successful outcomes than just saying, okay, you succeeded at one role, we're going to elevate, you know, we're going to promote you to the next one without consideration of, is this the right person for the right role? I'm going to make a hard transition back a little bit because I had a question I wanted to ask. And so this is like the terrible transition that I didn't want to make because I think there's some really good stuff we can go into. But as business owners, as a veterinarian, then as a practice owner as well, and thinking of this moving to service, moving to tele offerings, one thing that I've heard multiple times that I would be curious, and I'm not looking for like, hey, it's X amount. How does someone think about charging for these type of services and just begin to understand it? Because I've heard someone say, oh, it's half of what I charged before. No, I'm like, there has to be a little bit more thought process behind this, right? And so I would be curious with your experience and the clients that you've worked with and hearing probably a lot of different ways of how they've implemented or thought about it. How the heck do you charge for these type of services as it's changing? Because it's not the historical model, right? Like it is changing. So I'll address it from our point of view first as a vendor, and then the point of view as a veterinarian that's trying to charge for their time. From our point of view, we found that practices tend to like price certainty. And so we try to provide them some level of like price certainty with a fixed contract to say, hey, to help you with this amount of work will cost you X. And from our point of view, it's important to make sure that the value that you're getting from that exceeds whatever the cost is. And there are different ways to measure that value, right? You might measure that value in time saved, peace of mind, new clients captured, appointments generated. There's different ways to go about it. And it really depends on what is the problem that we're solving from that veterinary practices point of view. But I think what you were getting at was also how does a veterinarian that is offering, let's say they were just using our technology within an existing VCPR with their own clients and trying to offer telemedicine to their own clients. I think a doctor's time is worth money or a veterinarian's time. I'd say that, you know, word interchangeably, but to me, it doesn't matter if that time is physically in the practice or virtually through an app or SMS or over the phone it's still their time. It's their expertise. It's the fact that they went to medical school and veterinary school to get this licensure and do all the CE and their combined years of experience. That's what makes their time and expertise worthwhile. And they shouldn't charge any differently for a teleconsult as they would a physical consult. Now, if the teleconsult leads to needing you to come in for a physical appointment, then maybe you want to not charge for the physical exam fee or That's fine. So the client doesn't feel like they're being double charged. But regardless, what's valuable from a professional's point of view is their time. And for some reason or another, I think in this industry, a lot of veterinarians, especially like have gotten habituated to giving away their time for free. And somehow they think that that's the client expectation. It's not necessarily true, though. I don't have that expectation with our CPAs. There's no way I'd get on the phone with our lawyers for free. So why is it that I can get it, you know, even our doctor, my doctor. So why my veterinarian? I don't have that expectation, but I think if the veterinarian's transparent about it from the beginning, hey, to chat with me, it's going to cost this much money and I can help you figure out what's going on. And if you need to come in, then, you know, we can work on that later. I'm perfectly fine with that. And 
what I'm paying for is their time and their expertise. So I shouldn't, from a pet owner's point of view, expect any different. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. It's the logical answer, right? Like, and I think most people would say, yeah, that makes sense. But to your point, so many times things are given away for free and yet other professions don't run into that issue. So it's like, why? If you're letting someone do that, you need to, I guess it goes a little bit back to banner, like just you're worth it. Like you've spent a ton of time to have that skills and expertise and that's worth something. So just say, yeah, I'm totally worth it. And if someone gets pissed off, let them get pissed off. We just talked about the supply and demand issue. They're a shitty client, fire them. You don't need them anymore. Get yeah. rid of them. If you're so busy and someone doesn't want to respect your time, get rid of them. I think the issue with you know veterinarians understanding that their time is valuable is certainly really, but they do, they get it. But you know, it's, you're in an industry where people are passionate and compassionate and kind. And I get clients sometimes have financial difficulty, but you're also a professional. Your time is worth money. And I just think if you approach it transparently with a client from the beginning, they're going to be respectful and responsive to that. And I think that's something that should change, will continue to change over time in the right direction. 100%. You know, I think you made a really good point that needs clarification. If someone wants to do the right thing and literally is financially struggling and you want to take care of them because you're empathetic and you're a good human, that's different. But there are going to be certain people that will always complain and always push back on pricing. We see that in our business, right? Like there's always someone that's like, oh, well, this and that. It's like, okay, well, I'm sure you can always find someone to do it cheaper and you're never going to be happy. So this is probably just not the right relationship. Yeah. If I went to you for financial advice nonstop, at some point you're like, hey, listen, like this is my livelihood, right? And you have to be respectful of that. And I think people are, but you, to your point about boundaries, you just have to maintain a clear boundary and say, this is mine and communicate that clearly and consistently. And I think pet owners get it. Yeah. Two last things. The first is I want to give you an ability, soapbox topic, anything that's top of mind that maybe we haven't covered that you want to kind of riff on or chat through. And then the second thing is I let every guest that comes on the podcast, ask any question to me can be anything personal, professional, random. I've had all kinds of fun questions. So you can do whatever you want with that. But the soapbox thing, is there any topic that maybe we haven't addressed yet that you're like, shoot, listeners of this need to understand this topic or think about it? And maybe it's just posing a question to help encourage them. No, to to anyone in the veterinary industry, just to know that our, our mission is to provide convenient, compassionate, and continuous care. And what that means from a veterinary practitioner's point of view is I understand that a lot of you are burnt out. And considering adding new team members and having a hard time finding new team members. And I want you to consider an external partner as a potential solution. We're here to help you reduce some of that burnout, achieve work-life balance, and make sure that you maintain your standards of client service. So if you haven't thought about using a partner, Guardian Vets is always here to help you. And we're always trying to help veterinary practices um, get better. And with respect to a question, maybe given that we're a few, like a week or 10 days or so away from Christmas, would be any, any holiday plans coming up? Yeah. So the Christmas question. So this will be the first year, I think actually on Christmas that it'll just be my wife, myself and our son. It'll just be low key because we're celebrating my side early and that's usually normal. And then for my wife's side, Usually that's when we go up to her parents or do something like that, but it got delayed so we could all be together with her 
just with siblings getting married and having kids and, and, and everything just fell where Christmas day is going to just be, you know, the immediate family. So I think for me, I like cooking and I'm going to try to make a, a nice meal that night, maybe something more traditional, but nothing too wild. I mean, for us, I think the big thing is we don't want to, as a family, be the family that goes like over and above on things with Christmas. Mm. Cause I think sometimes people just try to do too much. And so, especially with our kids. So my wife is expecting, we're expecting our second in February. So well, congratulations, with our boys, we want to try to make them understand like what is Christmas about and like that whole thing. So for us, like that's really been something that has been top of mind. So our son is two and a half. So he's starting to understand a lot more of that. So just trying to start setting expectations and yeah, there's fun traditions. We'll do, uh, I always made homemade pizza growing up on Christmas Eve and we're going to continue to do that. So if I had to pick one thing, that's probably the thing that I'll continue as I get older. So who doesn't love homemade pizza though? So Very cool. That's the thing. Very cool. Yeah. What about you? Are you traveling? Do you travel or does everything come to you? Where do you go? Is Chicago home for both you and your wife or do you have to go anywhere else? Yeah. So we're going to stay in Chicago. You know, on my side, we typically celebrate on the 24th for Eve and my wife's side, we celebrate on the 25th. So it kind of works out perfectly in that sense. And we'll just get together and open gifts. And it, like you said, the point of it is really to get together and spend time together as a family and with your loved ones. So just looking, honestly, just to relax and take some time off and spend time with the families and relaxed, quiet Christmas is exactly what I'm looking forward to. Same. I think a lot of people have mentioned in just recent conversations of just I need a break. Yeah. I think that's universal across. Yeah. That's universal across any industry, anything just with people. People need some time away. It's interesting how a lot of people are now working from home. And it it seems like, if anything, the workloads for many people have gone up. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. So anyway, this would be a, a nice, relaxing time. So looking forward to that. Absolutely. So if I listen to this, curious about Guardian Vets, want to chat, connect with you. Obviously, we're not going to call the number that's on the website because that's not ringing to your <laughs> cell changed. phone anymore. Yeah, you that's can changed. call that. By all means. <laughs> but where would you send them or how would they uh, connect? Yeah, so our website is guardianvets.com. And if you'd like to email me personally, my email is just john, J-O-H-N, at guardianvets.com. And be happy to chat and answer any questions. And yeah, thank you for having me on today. Absolutely. Thank you for the time. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincier Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review that'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.